the Science Inside podcast. This is the Science Inside. Hello and welcome to the Science Inside and welcome to a new month of August and yes it is the first Monday of a new month and as we do it as per usual we have a feature scientist on the line or in studio to talk to us about their science but because it is women's month and um, this week we have a mixed bag of surprises in store for you we will be dedicating this entire month to all the lovely women who are contributing to the various fields in science and communication and in their varying capacities and today we will be having Elna Schutz and Lutfia Suleiman who are no strangers to the science inside now these young ladies have at some point both contributed to the Science Inside as presenters and producers. And we will be speaking to both of them about their experiences while working here at VOW FM, uh, particularly as it pen- pertains to communicating the sciences and educating the, me- the, the masses and their career highlights. And of course, what they have been up to since leaving the world of radio broadcasting. But we will get into all of this later on uh, in the show. But in our news tonight, we will We'll hear about heavy metals in the outer space that could be contributing to um, increases in temperature in exoplanets. And in our final story, we hear a little bit more about gene editing and how human stem cells are being targeted to um, possibly attempt cures at diseases and sicknesses such as anemia and sickle uh, sickle cell anemia and in unscience we find out about how cosmetic jewelry could possibly in future double as a contraceptive but right now we're going to the news with lindo guhe timakwe good evening lindo good evening in your news making headlines this week Gene editing of subset blood cells stem cell targeting could lead to curing disease such as sickle cell and heavy metals in an exoplanet 900 light years away from Earth are thought to be the cause of increased temperatures. This week's Good evening, I am Lindo Kuhletimakwe. For the first time, scientists have been able to edit the genetic makeup of a specialized subset of adult blood stem cells. These are specifically the source of all cells in the blood and immune system. Interestingly, a study called the Proof of Principle has assisted in killing two birds with one stone. Not only does it prove that efficient modification of targeted stem cells could reduce the cost of gene editing treatments for blood disease, but also shows that it decreases the risks of unwanted effects that could possibly occur with a less discriminating approach. In the study, the researchers selected a gene relating to sickle cell disease and beta thalassemia which is caused by a genetic defect in the formation of hemoglobin. The Fred Hutch made use of the CRISPR case 9 gene editing in the removal of genetic code piece that would, on normal occasions, turn off fetal hemoglobin proteins. The intertwining of this controlled DNA and CRISPR essentially allows the red blood cells to produce advanced levels of fetal hemoglobin, iron and other exoplanets Earth. 
The targeted cells took up the edits efficiently as 78% received them well before they were infused. After the infusion, the edited cells multiplied and produced blood cells. Of that, 30% were edited and as a result, up to 20% of red blood cells with fetal hemoglobin, the type of hemoglobin that reverses disease symptoms in sickle cell and thalassemia. Scientists have a strong conviction that carrying out genetic fixes on smaller pools of cells required for the therapeutic benefit will lessen safety concerns and reduce the risk of off-target effects. The self-renewing properties of this population of stem cells make them a powerful potential candidate to deliver gene therapy as they provide long-term production of genetically modified blood cells which could cure diseases. Scientists are wondering if a planet's atmosphere can possibly get any hotter than it already is. And the answer is yes. The heavy metals which can def- definitely make this nightmare a reality. Climate temperatures are increasing far more than usual and interesting though, the NASA's Hubble Space Telescope's revelation, there exists another world in our solar system. Heavy metals such as the magnesium and iron gas escaping the gaseous exoplanet called Jupiter. On normal occasions, planets as big as Jupiter are still cool enough inside to condense heavier elements such as magnesium and iron into clouds. But WASP-121b, which is orbiting so dangerously close to its star, is dangerously high as its upper hemisphere can shoot up to 600 degrees Fahrenheit, 10 times greater than any planet in the atmosphere. Lead researcher at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, David Singh, says that discovery of heavy metals came as no surprise in hot Jupiters in the lower atmosphere. Ultraviolet light from the host star has led to the leaking out of magnesium and iron, which can be contributing to increase in temperature. Though WASP-121b, being a hot planet, is favorable to watch and conduct research on, but carrying out research there has been deemed such as extreme. And as much as there's more, there's more hints to in as much as there's more hints. Continue. Continue. All right. All right then. Let us um, let us just go through um, what you have learned from both the stories that you have uh, read. Right. Okay. So. I mean, they are talking about um, this. Has this was a story that that was in the media not so long ago, where this doctor genetically edited um, these 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 uh, babies, twin babies, human babies. But now, apparently, China is going to be leading this research. It's the leading research in terms of stem cell um, targeting, right? Where they're going to be. Um, you know, curing diseases such as sickle cell anemia. But how do you feel about something like this? Um, in my opinion, I think it's, it's, it's quite an advancement in the science department. Um, many people do look forward to seeing such things happening. Um, with respect to the news just covered right now, um, I've realized that planets are orbiting in a quite interesting manner around the Earth. But with the, out, with the planet that's now found to be within our solar system, it's increasingly doing things. It's doing things increase in an increasing in increasing manner in such a way that heat 
and other metals are literally not being condensed into the clouds. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Lindo. We will have we will chat a bit more later on in the show. But right now we are going to go into a break and then on our return we will be having our interview with Elna Schutz, who was a presenter on the Science Inside. I'm really looking forward to that interview. This is the Science Inside. Welcome back. You're still with the Science Inside. And on the line tonight, we have Elna Schutz. She is a freelance journalist. She holds a bachelor's degree in journalism from the Rhodes University. She previously worked at the Viz Radio Academy as a producer for the Science Inside and the Business Buzz. She has been nominated for the Liberty Radio Awards on several occasions and won the 2018 Discovery Health Journalism Award for Best Radio. Radio journalism. And while at the Viz Radio Academy, she also trained partner community radio station practitioners on how to produce science and business content for respective shows. But she has much more to her talent arsenal. She also happens to be the founder of PodMeet, a networking and support project for podcasting industry in Johannesburg and Cape Town. Elna, a very warm welcome to the Science Inside and good evening. This is very special. Thank you, Bridget. It's very strange and very very wonderful to be on the science side as a guest for once after working on the show for so many years. I would like to just find out from you what have you been up to because you've produced some work for the Voice of Vids and also some work for the Vids Radio Academy. Where are you currently? So now, as you said, I am a freelance journalist meaning I am still working a little bit with audio and radio and podcasting. That will always be my first love. And some of that is science journalism. But now I um, I do really whatever strikes my fancy, wherever I find a really good story. So I um, yeah, did a little bit of, of work here and there for Daily Maverick and just wherever I can place my work. Um, but yes, science and health are still uh, a part of that which I'm very glad to hear because I've got a whole bunch of questions pertaining to uh, science, producing content and working on particularly the Science Inside show. So what would you say are the challenges or were your challenges while you were working or contributing towards the Science Inside show and for those who are working in the radio broadcasting industry? I think there is an ongoing um, challenge when you work with science journalism for a broader public, because the science inside is for anyone who is interested in how the world works. It's not just scientists, as, as you and I both know. And that means that you always have to make sure that everybody follows you and that um, you're never assuming um, that somebody in your audience will understand something. And so you really have to keep making sure that things aren't just clear but are really interesting because a lot of people will, uh, will still have uh, preconceived notions about science not having anything to do with their lives or being boring or and none of that is true. So I think the ongoing challenge, which is actually a very good thing um, in, in working on science content, is selling it to your audience and, and showing them how important it is and really finding the parts of the story that are funny or fascinating or um, 
really emotional. And as I, I always find that um, to be tough, but really also the origin of the best stories. When I can take something that looks like just another research paper, uh, but then find something fascinating. And I think the second thing specifically is not only is science journalism a very, very small group uh, or industry in South Africa, radio science journalism is incredibly rare. Um, so you face some challenges there in terms of bringing things across because, of course, you don't have you don't have any visuals to, say, explain mathematics or show the invention that you're talking about. So there is there is that, but uh, yeah, it's a small it's a small industry that I think is worth fighting for. Um, not just in spaces like that, but especially uh, in more community radio spaces. As you said, I, I worked with stations um, dotted around the country, and that was at times incredibly tough finding ways for them to explain science um, in their local languages, sure. finding local experts. It's not an easy thing to do, but overall, I, I think if you love the content and you can see the value in it, then all of these challenges to me were, were, were sort of yeah, challenges that I wanted to beat rather than problems. Yeah. And what would you say were your highlights while working on the science inside? What was your experience like and has it made you a better reporter? I think all of the things that I think back to that really made me <laughs> really made me happy or that I loved, um, as with most journalism, is when you get to go out in the field. And sometimes journalism is so fun and so ridiculous from... Um, Touching dinosaur fossils to running around after beetles um, in in Johannesburg the, with the shuttle borer epidemic and yes. um, you know just getting getting the chance to meet incredible people. I I've met Nobel Prize winners and uh, astronauts who played the flute in space. Um, so I think I think those are some of the the big highlights. Um, just being able to play with inventions or go out there. But personally, some of my favorite moments have been when I'm in an interview with someone, um, and maybe they've even given a lot of interviews before, and I can see that somewhere in that interview, this magical moment happens where I understand them and their work, and they see that they're being understood, and they... um, there's just a sort of aha moment uh, for both of us where where you realize like, oh, this is why this is important or this is why this is strange or funny. Um, and and seeing, seeing scientists being able to explain something um, that, they, that they have spent so much time thinking about in their lab and being able to bring that out into the world has always been special for me. That's a whole lot of experience that you've uh, just spoken about. But how would you say maybe science journalism could be improved in South Africa? Because you touched on the fact that there aren't as many institutions Mm -hmm. and people who are advocating for science journalism. Do you think there's any need for maybe um, implementing this in the education, in, in the programs for journalists? 
or at universities in the academic programming or how can we go about you know improving or making an interest uh, in science communication mm, yes so for all niche types of journalism whether you're doing court reporting or financial journalism the more you know about that specific thing obviously you're going to become a better reporter right yes and if i've worked on seven genetic stories obviously my eighth one is going to be much better because i understand more of it but in um and we always say about journalists they're an expert in a day right every day you need to learn something different but I really think that with science reporting specifically, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting um, health reporting underneath that, knowing what you're talking about and making sure that you understand it correctly is really important yes. and can, in some cases, affect people's lives and their health badly if you represent something and you start going around saying stupid things like, bacon cures cancer or whatnot because you didn't you didn't take the time to make sure that you understand correctly mm-hmm. um and so i think um the better the industry is supported the better science reporters become um specialized and get the space to really understand something and therefore report it better. We see this internationally. I've just come back a few weeks ago from the World Conference of Science Journalists, hundreds of science journalists from around the world, and you'll meet people there from um, countries where science journalism is quite a big industry, um, obviously not huge, but but in, in comparison. And, and they will write only about three very specific topics, but they'll know everything about it. And that that benefits everybody better. So um, both the readership and, and journalism, <laughs> the journalists, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so so I do think that it's really important to um, strengthen the science journalists that we already have, and we do have some wonderful ones in the country. Um, but you spoke about um, whether this should be part of the curriculum. I think... Um, not, not every not every journalist is going to be a science journalist, obviously, but now and then, though, even the most general of beat reporters, just as a community newspaper, you're still going to have a story about uh, water or health or, you know, diseases or food. And so I do think that teaching young reporters or journalists in general not necessarily how to do science journalism, but how to um, start thinking about it. So where do you find, um, how do you know if a, if a scientist um, is somebody that you can trust and, and where do you find sources and what are the kind of questions you need to ask instead of just uh, taking press release and throwing it out there. So, so I do think there are some good skills that should maybe be implemented in in how to think about these things not necessarily training people in them but um, the basic skills of respecting science if i can call it that wow that is quite insightful and speaking about that you know understanding the topic that you are covering or an interest that you take within whatever um science field right you backed the you backed the discovery health journalism award for best journalism in 2018 
so what was your experience like and what would you say made that story an award-winning story? Mm. Um, I, I mean, first of all, I was just incredibly humbled and excited to be in a room full of other people who love health journalism. Um, it is an incredibly important thing in South Africa because our health systems and our knowledge around health is, is often um, often really needs as much good journalism as it can get. And there are people in the country that are doing amazing things in this space. So um, just the experience of winning the award was, was incredibly humbling um, to be able to be in that room with, with so many of the people that I look up to in, in the field. Um, and I nearly didn't get up. I, w- I was so sure I, I wouldn't get <laughs> the award that um, yeah. a journalist next to me had to sort of nudge me and say, Alma, Alma, it's you. It's your up. turn. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's always a thing, I think, for a lot of us journalists. I look back at that story and my deep reaction is, I know I could do that better. I wish I could do it again. I can do it better. Um, because we grow, obviously, and and I, I did that story two years ago, so I would hope that I've grown enough to be able to do it even better now. Um, I I think that story, so the story was about collective trauma, um, so how do we as a society psychologically suffer after tough things have happened to us, and I, I, I looked at... Um, at treatment um, for and um, part of the apartheid struggle, anti-apartheid struggle, and um, and I think that story had a chord with people because on the surface was a health story. It was about mental health and trauma and how we heal these things, but it was so relevant to all of our lives as South Africans. It was something that was so emotionally uh, rooted that I think that is a good example of science, good science journalism. And, and again, I, I, I think I could have done much better. Um, I was, I did that um, very much, very much with limited resources. But I think great science journalism is like, like a lot of journalism, it's about the emotion. Um, and when I think back to my, my time on the science and science, some of the stories that I really think were, were our best stories aren't just the ones that were the newest or the the you know the best reported or whatnot, but were the ones that really made the science human. So the burn victim that spoke, we had a burn victim once speak on the show um, uh, about getting burnt, and it turned the emotion of the whole show where we were talking about about um, uh, about wound care, it, it changed the feeling of the show so dramatically. Once we started talking to all the doctors and speaking about innovations and changes, that whole conversation was different because we started with the emotion of one girl whose life changed because the parents still exploded. And um, and I think in the same way, my documentary and um, collective and a lot of good science uh, stories are anything but boring. Yeah. Wow. You just took me through a, a whole journey just by talking about this entire experience because it's true when you say we need to be giving the scientists that human face 
that mm-hmm. they're not just about people who are working in the lab behind white papers and green papers, but they actually also improve people's lives and make them better. But what would you say in your words is the importance that women play in the science field as science reporters or communicators or just, you know, specialists as scientists in these fields? So women scientists absolutely um, are doing amazing work but often do need, um, I just wish there was even more support. Um, It's a very big topics. I'm not going to say too much and other people can speak on this better than I can. But um but I definitely would love to see South African female scientists shine and be seen and be recognized and be given the resources they need even more. Um as to uh female science supporters, there are actually quite a quite a strong presence of women in the industry. Most of the the science reporters I know um, off the top of my head, a good, good, a good handful of them are are women. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't have our our share of discrimination, uh, like any field of journalism. And um, you definitely come across you you come across the odd male scientist who who feels that you couldn't possibly understand the very smart work you've done because you've arrived in the skirt those things do happen um and 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 i don't want to undermine them and yet there are so many great great female um, science reporters uh, and i know science and science going to speak to some of them um you know there's nina mum and there's sarah wilde and the you know linda nortling and the, the list just goes on so i definitely think there's a presence and there's a lot to be proud of and one of those areas, just one small area, of course, is that at least within um, within health reporting, there are quite a few issues in South Africa that have to do with um, reproduction and with women's issues and menstruation and those kinds of things. And there are times when being a female reporter, they may grant you access that being a male reporter wouldn't. So there is that aspect, but I, but I think... I think we can be very proud of our female science journalists. Wow, and we are very proud of you and all the work that you've <laughs> contributed to the Vids Radio Academy, to the Voice of Vids, and yeah, and what you're doing with Podmeet as well. I would like to say a happy Women's Day or Women's Month, actually, to you and all of the other female uh, science reporters, communicators, and scientists in the field. Thank you so much, and, and same to you, the science side. There's some wonderful things. It's very hard work, but it's it's so important. Mm. Well, thank you for being part of the Science Inside once more. It was lovely having you on the show again. Thank you. That was Alna Schutz, freelance journalist, audio specialist and founder of Podmeet, a networking event for people with interest in starting a podcast or who are already podcasters. Stay listening. Up next, we have Unscience. This is the Science Inside. Hello and welcome back to the Science Inside. It's time for Unscience, where we look at the silly side of science. Sometimes it's a bit hilarious, sometimes downright strange and ridiculous. And today's Unscience was produced by Lindo Guche Dimakwe. Lindo, what do you have on the on um, on Unscience for this week? 
Okay, so we basically have something very interesting. I don't know if it has ever crossed your mind that your wristwatch can do more than just tell time or that those stunning earrings could do more than make, um, make you look good for aesthetics. It would be great if I could pull a James Bond move, you know, like, you know, whip out something that could possibly harm somebody with, you know, the high crime rate here in <laughs> South Africa. But yes, I am totally intrigued. Tell me more. Well, the Journal of Controlled Release has recently published a report about a new technique for administering contraceptive hormones through special backings on jewellery-like earrings. So the contraceptive um, hormones are contained in patches applied to portions of the jewellery in contact with the skin. So this basically allows the drugs to be absorbed into the body. Now, initial testing suggests that contraceptive jewellery may deliver sufficient amounts of hormones to provide contraception, though human testing has not been done yet. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose with more contraceptive options, then there would be a higher chance of various individual needs of women being met but i mean south africa is already known for its high um, crime rates and god forbid what would happen to my family planning schedule should my contraceptive being stolen i mean the criminal obviously wouldn't be aware that this is my contraceptive yeah yeah so now the contraceptive jewelry adapts transdermal patch technology that is already used to administer drugs that prevent motion sickness um, support smoking cessation and control the symptoms of menopause but have never been incorporated in jewelry before now this would be very interesting to start in cases like that i mean it would obviously be a disadvantage as these hormones may seize the transmission however i'm i'm very sure that the patches are already available i mean we are aware of that i guess then the scientists would just have to work on making the hormones stay longer in the case where it may be stolen well, it seems as if there is a lot of experience in making and using conventional trans, uh, transdermal patches. They are literally taking, you know, contraceptive making to the next level, yeah. literally, right? And I mean, it's a very novel idea, but I'm not really sure of how it can be um, adaptable to the South African context because, I mean those crime rates are high guys yeah. <laughs> and i mean i i can just imagine somebody just snatching that you know piece of jewelry hanging around your neck or on your wrist more especially um, if you're dependent on it yeah yeah but uh tell me more um definitely like the technique could potentially be used to deliver other you know pharmaceuticals though it would only be suitable for skin permeable drugs that are requ that require administration of quantities that are small enough to fit into the patches it is very important also to understand that not only the effectiveness and the economics of contraceptive jewelry but also you know the social and personal factors that come into play for women all around the world now scientists would have to make sure that this contraceptive jewelry can is something that women would actually want to use. Um, I feel like in addition to it, all making it more appealing should definitely make it easier to remember to use. Yeah, I mean, if I take off the watch, then, I mean, what, what would happen to the drug? Yeah. Would the drug still remain in my body? Would it still be effective? Because, I mean, I'm not going to sleep with my wristband or my wristwatch on or my earrings on right it's quite definitely. uncomfortable definitely i'm assuming that the scientists would then have to work on 
you know, making sure that the transmission lasts longer. For example, just like the injection, which is well known, um, would last for probably three months or so. So I guess in cases where it's stolen or in cases where you have to sleep, um, the transmission stays longer. I guess it just saves the time for you to go there every three months to the doctor and all of that. Instead, you just have your watch next to you by your headboard and just, just put it on. Yeah. yeah. So actually, this actually... Um it reminds me of something similar that we spoke about some time ago where these scientists created just this band that you it's a copper band mm-hmm. it's actually not even um it's not even hormones yeah. right it's yeah. just copper and then apparently that copper actually um regulates your hormones and yeah. then it acts as a contraceptive so i was saying that Looking into something like that, it's something I would use because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm all for healthy living and lifestyle and not being dependent heavily mm-hmm. on pharmaceuticals. But pharmaceuticals have really actually assisted people and especially with uh, family planning. Yeah, they have. Um, what One thing that would be very interesting, in my opinion, are basically the after effects, you know, the side effects. I mean, with most medication, you do get side effects after usage first time third time whatever my question would be what happens with this one what happens when you remove your earring are the side effects still the same do they lessen sure what goes on it's very interesting in that sense yeah and i'm looking forward to whatever they're going to be telling us later yes um so it's in, it's unusual it's unlikely and science unusual indeed unusual unlikely unscience this is the science inside. Science inside. You're still on the science inside, and I am your host, Bridget Lepere. Welcome back. We are in the second half of our program, and as promised, we have Lufia Suleiman, who is currently the project manager at the Wildlife and Environment Society of South Africa. Lutfia also once contributed to the Science Inside as a presenter and producer. But what's really interesting about Lutfia is that she has a master's in science in environment and eco- ecology and conservation. And who better to speak about communicating the sciences other than one who has dabbled in both worlds, right? So Lutfia a very warm welcome to the Science Inside. Good evening. Thank you so much. Um, it's nice to be welcomed back. And it's good to see you again as well, or hear from you again as well. Really great to hear from you as well. So I want us to get into this interview, right? As a student at the time, what drew you to working in the radio broadcasting environment and uh, your involvement with VOW FM? Well, in my second year of doing a master's degree, and as you know, the academic environment at WITS or at any university institution actually can be quite punishing and, you know, I was also working and my work at that time was in Pretoria. So a friend sent me the job description for this research position at VAWFM, a science research position. And I read it and I thought, but this is just perfect, you know. I'm doing research on science communication in the environmental sector and science journalism, you know. And I have an interest in, you know, I was always that kid watching sci-fi movies and interested in, you know, the future. What is the future going to be like? So this seemed perfect for me. Yes. And that's, I applied and, and thankfully I got the job and that's how it all started. 
quite a journey you've taken. What would you say that experience has prepared you for your journey and where you are now as a scientist? I think that um, working in radio while also being involved in the academic field, it taught me a lot about how to interrogate science, interrogate knowledge production, how to understand myself as a researcher and my place and my role as a researcher. Um, And in many ways, I think it also taught me how to maybe be a little bit better at it, if I can say, or a little bit more human in that process. The thing with academia is that you you approach a person, not as a person, but as a, a data point almost in a sense. And I think journalism helps you to understand that this is a person with their own context, with their own whatever. You know, when you're doing an interview or when you're studying any any problem or you're trying to find the answer to, to any question, dipping my toes, as it were, into journalism as well, just changed the way that I saw research and that I was seeing people as well. How difficult or how easy was it for you? Because for many scientists, it's not an easy thing to totally grasp your head around, you know, concepts of media or reporting. So how easy or difficult was it for you? Because these are now you're juggling two different things and you're trying to make them into one or make it translate into one language. For sure. Because I had an interest in journalism from a young age, um, in fact, I think at one point, when I was quite into my history classes in grade 10 or 11, uh, I was convinced I was going to be a journalist until uh, my idea was shattered because apparently journalists don't make that much money. So I was like, well, okay. You know, this young, impressionable person, you always want to know where's your life going to go, and then you think about that, and you're like, oh, okay. So obviously, you know, that, that idea grew a lot as I grew up myself, as I started studying, as I entered into, you know, the science faculty, started doing my undergraduate and then my postgraduate I was always interested in journalism. I was always interested in stories. So I think having that interest along with the very rigorous scientific training, the way to gel the two became how do we use science to tell stories? How do we interrogate our science to ask what is this? What is the story this research is telling? And when you think of it that way, you think of how do I, how do I tell a story? What language should I be using to tell a story? If I use this jargonistic expression, is that really going to be interesting to someone or is it actually going to just make them change the station or change the you know, channel or whatever? So that was how I think I started marrying the two, was to understand how can we use science to tell stories. Um, and also, you know, science has, science has a bit of a branding problem. Um, science is seen as this thing that is boring, that is technical, um, you know, and so we 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 struggle to to engage with it a lot in that way. So I think thinking about it in that way just helped to to break down that barrier. Sure. And what kind of challenges would you say scientists specifically face in communicating their their science? Uh, I know maybe this might not have been a, a very big problem with you at the beginning because now you had this experience on one side um, pertaining to, you know, reporting or communicating science on radio. But how, how, what would you say science communication, is it a useful tool to possess if you are maybe trained as a science communicator? I think um, almost every, every scientist or maybe at least many scientists, many more than are currently trained or familiar with science communication need to become familiar with communicating their science. Um, and I think I'm going to give the answer in a little bit of a, a roundabout way, but 
I'll go back to this issue of science having something of an, a branding problem, you know. Um, we tend to think of science as something that is inherently apolitical when it is actually something that is very political. Um, you know, what, what we choose to study, what big funders put money into research, um, how we approach data collection, how we approach representation of knowledge and the representation of these findings, all of that is very inherently political. Um, and so in choosing to to do research, we, we are also making a political decision that I'm going to actually find out more about this thing. And if you don't then share that knowledge, or even in the way that you connect collect that knowledge, if you don't make it a little bit of a more democratic exercise, or if you don't then go back to wherever you came from, you know, what is the purpose of that research? Um, so I think every single scientist needs to ask himself that question and then needs to think about, okay, this is a really great thing that I've done. I found out this. I found the answer to that. What is the point of my research? How can I take it back to the communities? How can I take it back to a place where it will make a difference or make some kind of a, a meaningful impact? Um, and especially if, you know, you were, you were using or you were talking to people, um, how do you take it back to people? So I think that's it's, it's quite important. And in terms of the difficulties people have, I think it's that, unfortunately, our, our system of science takes us outside of that thinking, where we think that we're just going to do the study in a silo, in a lab, in wherever, and it will just stay here. Or we do it for, you know, we, we get caught up in this academic system where we do it for academic prestige. So I think going back to the point of why are you answering this question, why are you doing this research, can help us to, to get back in touch with science communication and making it something that's part of society and not, you know, at odds with society or not out of reach of society. And with that in mind, would you say that scientists or, say, your colleagues are warming up to that idea that they need to fine-tune their research that has been thought over for so many years and just simplify it for people at grassroots level? I've seen certainly many more people now open to the idea than before. I don't know whether people necessarily have the tools to do that, though. So maybe the training or maybe an understanding of how to share um, what they're learning about or platforms to share what they're learning about. I know a few scientists um, who use, for example, Twitter to talk a little bit more about their research. But I'm not really sure if I have the answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite a, a difficult one just to also mm. ask one person as well because mm. people work in various sciences. But mm. I would like you to talk to us about winning the 2015 MTN Radio Awards for Best News and Actuality uh, Show. What would you say is the winning formula for maybe somebody who's listening, who is a scientist, who would like to also learn how to communicate their science, but also merge these two seemingly different things, but could help each other in a way? I'm not sure I have the answer to that question. However, <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, when we were when we were producing a show at that point, we were not necessarily producing it with the idea of winning this award. I think we were producing it with the idea of, first of all, we were very passionate about what we were doing, and we were very passionate about telling stories, but also we wanted to make it engaging, and I think that's really where the value in terms of, you know, it um, being on radio and connecting with listeners comes in, is that we always thought a lot about the listener. Um, we put ourselves in the listener's shoes or seat with every single story to think about, you know, is this understandable? Is it boring? Is it making sense? 
um, have I connected everything I've presented in the show? Have I have I threaded the story nicely? Um, is there maybe giving it a second listen? Is maybe something unclear? So just thinking from the listener's perspective, thinking from the perspective of how do I make this topic interesting and engaging, and how do I connect it with everything else that's going on in the world? And I think that's what that's what makes good radio, and that's what that's what makes a good story. So maybe thinking about that and focusing on that and getting that right is something that can help both scientists and journalists or science journalists. And now you're a project manager at WESA. What do you do? Oh, so actually I have been working. So initially I was a project coordinator. I was actually working in Kimberley on um, environmental project there. And now recently I've been working on two innovative projects for the organization. So those have been sort of experimental uh, ideas for new ways to improve education or educational initiatives and capacity development initiatives. And that's what I've been piloting and monitoring, evaluating. That is what I've been doing there. And then how much would you say of that influences how you live your life? I know that there are people who are scientists, who are climatologists, and then they change Mm -hmm. their way in which they live. They sort of Mm -hmm. reduce their carbon emissions. But how Mm. much of that translates into what you are doing as a scientist and also sort of, you know, practicing what you preach? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do work in the environmental sector and it works both ways. I think the knowledge that I came with is something that I'm able to implement. And what I learned does also feed back on me in terms of my lifestyle. So, for example, when I was working in the Northern Cape, I learned a lot about waste management, recycling, upcycling, those sorts of things. So you do take that knowledge back with you to your everyday lifestyle in terms of what am I doing with my waste? Where does it go? How can I make this whole process better? Who's collecting it? You know, those sorts of things. And in terms of, I mean, now we, again, we're in an upshot of interest in climate change or the climate crisis. Um, so that's also something that uh, I think we, we always need to be thinking about. How can I communicate this issue? How do I actually, for me, to be honest, at this point, it's really thinking about how do we make this something that is more accessible in terms of knowledge, in terms of platforms to discuss these sorts of issues. How do we make all of these things more accessible? So that we're not just uh, shouting across the fishbowl, as it were, you know, telling the fish who's been in that same fishbowl with us from the start, this is what I'm doing and this is what I found. And, you know, not really getting outside of that. So that's really, I think, what I'm looking at now is in terms of what I've learned from my professional career and what I've learned from my studies, as well as what, you know, goes on in your personal life. How do you marry those threads together? And in this field that you have studied, how important do you think is the role of women? Sure, I don't think it can be underestimated. I remember seeing a thread recently that spoke about how a lot of the key male philosophers that we may follow, you know, whether it was Karl Marx or more decolonial philosophers early how they were all men, for example, and it looked at the story of, okay, but how were they able to think, sit and think and research and study so much at that time where, you know, what role were women playing in their lives? And often it's the case of the woman or their wives or spouses, whoever, played this very supporting role. And so I think in order for women to go forward in science, we need to support each other to not be seen as supporters of men, but to be seen as 
knowledge producers as as much as we are feminine and we are mothers and we are this and we are that, but to be taken more seriously and to be put at the forefront of everything that we are doing with regards to, you know, science and research. But just to really, to, to put ourselves there, to not be shy to tell people about what we are doing and to support each other in those roles. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? So maybe just to zone in on your, on your topic of women in science for the purposes of this particular show, I think what's very important for us all to remember is that when we're thinking about radio, when we're thinking about science, it's always about voice. We're thinking about voice. And so I think I would encourage everybody to learn from listening because that is what radio is about. It's about we we learn and to give the right people the platforms to facilitate dialogue rather than to talk at each other, to try and learn by listening as well as speaking yeah, just to learn. Learn from one another. Don't talk at each other as much as radio sometimes can be a one-way experience. You know, turn turn conversations into genuine listening experiences, experiences, into genuine listening exercises, and to support each other in that way. Well, thank you so much, Lutfia. Thank you for making the time for the Science Inside. Great. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. And that was Lutfia Suleiman, who is the project manager at the Wildlife and Environment Society of South Africa. She once presented and produced the Science Inside, and we were in conversation. We were in talks with her about communicating the sciences and where she is currently. We'll be back with more after this break. Hello, you're still on the Science Inside and this week on the Science Inside we were paying homage to all the special, hardworking, intelligent and strong women who are making positive contributions to science, whether through through reporting um, on various uh, media pl- platforms or in the classroom. But importantly, importantly, we are acknowledging and giving these women in various science disciplines a platform to shine and to talk about their work. With this in mind, on the show tonight, we had interviews with our very own Elna Schutt and Lutfia Suleiman, who once worked on the science inside here at VAUFM, and they were talking about their experiences and how uh, they experienced communicating and reporting on science, and uh, they also spoke about where they are currently in their respective fields or careers but that was all we had time for on tonight's show the team behind the scenes is production by lindo guhe timakwe and tech by gudrono serame our podcast is on podcast vets.journalism.co.za forward slash science and also on itunes and you can also find us on social media platforms such as facebook and twitter as vow at as vow fm the science inside is produced by the vets radio academy funded in part by the south african department of science and technology that was all for tonight good night Stay curious, stay informed, stay on the Science Inside. The Science Inside Podcast.